Iowa's News Now Sports has your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks, sponsored by University of Iowa Healthcare. Well, I, I love tight ends. I'm a huge fan, right? Uh, everywhere I've been, um, our tight end has been all conference normally. You want to win a press conference, folks, in Iowa City? <laughs> Lead with that. Welcome to Eye on the Hawks, our Tim Lester Presser Breakdown Edition. Mitch Fick, Owen Sebring, Mike Howell here. Going to break down a lot of what we heard from Lester yesterday in Iowa City, his introduction to the media there in Iowa City, and for any fans who are watching the live stream, certainly the one here for Eye on the Hawks as well. So we're going to get a deep dive into that. First time we've talked to Seth Wallace since he was named assistant head coach uh, of the program. Of course, the longtime linebackers coach, the pride of Co-college, a great receiver there, and what a journey he's had on the, on the coaching side of things. Got to hear a little bit about his journey to Iowa City way back when. And uh, talk a little bit about LeVar Woods, uh, now a candidate for the special teams coordinator job with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A little bit of a surprising development or unexpected development there, uh, breaking late yesterday afternoon. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Eye on the Hawks on Twitter. Of course, the Instagram page is Iowa's News Now, and as well on the YouTube channel, if you're watching this live, you know that already. Uh, if you're just listening to the audio version, again, we keep pushing you to that Iowa's News Now YouTube channel. All the highlights and everything, you get to see uh, the sound bites as you, as you listen to them, so lots of good visuals there too. But let's start with the head hawk who brought in Tim Lester after a, a months-long search and, of course, an emotional departure for, for Kirk saying goodbye to his, his son as Brian left his post as offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, Tim Lester now steps in. A lot of questions, you saw him on social media about Kevin Johns having breakfast at the Marriott and people saw that and got connected to Kevin Johns and then Tim Lester comes in and people are looking at what happened at Syracuse 10 years ago and Kirk was asked directly about what exactly in Tim Lester's resume led to him saying, this is our guy in 2024 and beyond. Here's Kirk's answer to the question of why Tim Lester? Yeah, I think I'd look more at the last six, seven, eight years probably. Purdue won, and with all due respect to Syracuse at that time, because uh, I, you know, I don't read a lot of feedback, but I did read somebody, you know, took a shot at that one. And my first thought was, okay, if you evaluated my career at Maine, I probably wouldn't still be standing here. I never would have been standing here. I was proud of over a 12 and 21 career record at Maine. So. You know, you can go back, and I think you, you have to, you know, quantify and qualify everything you look at. Um, you know, it's like our team last year. I think there are pretty obvious reasons why we struggled offensively. Uh, it really doesn't take a, a detective to figure that out. So, you know, what I've looked at and focused more so, you know, the job he did with David Blau, Purdue, and then the the entire body of work at Western Michigan. Uh, you consider the Mac, Mac schools, you know, they typically play at least two games that are, you know, you're, you're fighting, you're swimming uphill, upstream. Yeah, look at some of the wins that they had and some things they did, beating Pitt in 21. You know, there's some really impressive things there, but more it's about the big picture. And then last year's uh, experience is really factored in, too. You know, you try to resume and, or, you know, examine the entire resume, try to talk to a lot of people that have worked with him, uh, know him and, you know, pretty intimately, and then project, you know, is this, you know, is this candidate going to be a good fit? And yeah, I went back uh, yesterday and watched that, that 21 film from Pitt. Uh, if you want a good example of what Tim Lester's offense can do, at least with the pieces that he had there with Caleb Ellaby at quarterback and Sky Moore at receiver and a couple of really good running backs, go watch that film and you see that team on the road clicking offensively. But let's pull back a little bit. You were in the room in Iowa City there for the presser, Mike. You were watching back here uh, 
but watching everything with it. Initial impressions of what we saw from Tim Lester and heard from Tim Lester uh, on Tuesday afternoon after a, a week and a half really of learning whatever we could just through listening to a halftime radio interview or pregame interview uh, before the Iowa game last week and just digging through YouTube videos and, and articles from Syracuse and Kalamazoo and wherever else. Well, Tim, uh, if you like tight ends, I've got new, good news for you. Um, there's a whole bunch of them on the roster, including one guy who maybe switched over from fullback. We were just noticing today yeah. that Hayden Large is now listed as a tight end on the roster as opposed to the fullback position, which he played last year. Um, and that may play into the style of offense that Tim Lester likes to run. I mean, he, he, he likes having tight ends in the offense, and so they – Probably could use a guy with a little bit more college experience under his belt, even if it's at the NAIA level. Um, Hayden Large comes in. You've got Addison Estrenga coming back and Luke Lachey coming back. Johnny Pascuzzi, Zach Ortworth both got time last year. So um, I, I have to think that, that that experience, that tradition that he has with tight ends was a big reason why he was the guy for the job. And, and I love that he pointed that out yesterday, that tight ends were going to be a big part of this offense still. I will be interested to see and hear if Hayden Large was recruited by Western Michigan during, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be, sh I mean, sure. Hudsonville and Unity Christian, half hour maybe from, from Kalamazoo, and they're pretty good at going down the lakeshore there in West Michigan and getting those guys again. He missed most of his senior year with an injury, a really bad injury that we talked about last year. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a relationship there already and maybe, maybe they've already had discussions of like, hey, did a great job at fullback. You're 6'5", though, and you can catch. Yeah. Let's get you in a spot that can really thrive <laughs> in this those offense. Hands on the offense. Mike, what were your first impressions? Along those same lines, like I really liked the, the stuff he said about, you know, tailoring his offense to what they got. And maybe, you know, we're reading too much into the, the large thing, but maybe he's like, you, he saw that tall guy who can catch and block. Let's move him there. Let's give him the ball. Because there are a lot of times in the past five years, maybe even going back in this Iowa offense, where you're like, with Noah Fant, uh, TJ Hawkinson, where they are Kittle too. You look at their stats at Iowa and you're like, wow, you know, um, they're doing a lot in the NFL. I wonder why we didn't give them the, more, the ball more. And what he said about flexibility, changing his offense to whatever quarterback he has, whatever talent he has, getting his receivers open, and we'll hear from him in a little bit. I was just really encouraged about that. I think tailoring your offense to what you have is better than, okay, here's what we're running, which I don't, who's to say that's what Iowa was doing, but that's what it seemed like when they struggle, you know? It's like they're just doing, uh, running the ball into, you know, an eight-man front and hoping it works or, you know, trying to outwill the opponent. So I was encouraged from that. Never know until we see, you know, some game film like we were talking yesterday and <laughs> spring practice at the earliest, but really game one is when we'll find out if this Iowa offense will change at all. It is, very, you know, and this is, quintessential like off-season wheel spinning and whatnot it's it's february 7th we're not even going to get an inkling of what this could maybe look like until april 13th or 20th when when there's a spring scrimmage uh spring practice starts march 21st according to Dolph uh last week during a, a pregame for basketball but it's going to be deacon and marco and tommy and i don't know if if james razar is that how you say his last name yeah Get out i think so uh, i don't know if he's on campus yet if he's an early enrollee um but that's, yeah, we're not going to get any inkling of what this could maybe look like with Cade until mid-August. But I, I was afterwards in, in the room there in Iowa City, even from the media, you heard a lot of guys who, you know, listen, social media was in a, in a bit of an uproar about the hiring, whether it was out of ignorance of everything or just whatever the situation may maybe was. It was... 
surprising or encouraging to hear people with the media in that room yesterday on of like, he won that press conference or like, hey, like optimistic. And to, where was that a week ago? Yeah. You just had to hear from the guy himself to like form an opinion. At the end of the day, I mean, there's, yeah, so little. It's like, whatever. I mean, he, <laughs> I, I have to think he was going to come in and say the right things and we were going to hear the right things that he wanted us to hear. And so, um, you know, his, his end resume is going to be dictated by what we see on the field this fall versus what we heard in a press conference yesterday. Uh, but along those lines of the, of the uh, dialogue on social media, um, I found yesterday that setting up for a live shot outside of the handsome performance complex in Iowa City, you, you see a lot of f- famous faces as you're standing out there. So the first guy I saw was Cade McNamara just getting out of his car ready to go to meal. Um, looks, looks good to go. I mean, he was walking around, no, no assistance. He, he posted and, pictures last night on IG of him like working the sled and stuff. It's like, all right. Yeah. Like he's, so do, are, we, are we for sure that he'll be out? It was, insinu- it was insinuated in questioning that mm-hmm. he, he wouldn't be out there. But again, like it was what, late September? That Michigan State game was late September, yeah. early October. You're five months removed. I guess I just assumed he was, but now that I you're saying all he's did. pushing the sled, you know, you yeah, got to yeah, really. I mean, that, to me, that's a that's a big deal. Yeah. Like if you're you're putting that kind of power and and, and effort into a knee. Like, yeah, got to we'll think. It'll but he be... was hungry yesterday. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> got to think it'll be a similar situation to what we had last year, where he was limited but out there for the spring stuff, and then we saw him at the infamous Kids Day experience. Yeah. Uh, but the other person I saw was Kirk Ferentz, um, kind of walking laps around the uh, parking lot. I don't know if that's just like his exercise routine or something, but he had his earbuds in and was uh, talking on the phone to somebody. And the the only snippet of conversation I heard as he was passing me was about like, yeah, I mean, these people, when they get on social media, they just run with these dialogues and people are so negative on there, blah, blah, blah. And then he started walking out. I'm like, all right, yep. he Because yeah. he sees it. I mean, he even said yesterday, he's like, believe it or not, I see what people are saying out there. And so I'd pray Kirk has burners. I, I, there's, there's no way he does, but, but what if? What, it, it would be, it, but again, it's, and the social media noise is never going to be, it's Positive. always going to be loud. It's always going to be loud because it's just going to be, it's kind of a tidal wave thing. Again, we, we saw it as, you know, maybe there was the insinuation of, negativity already is people got so excited about maybe Kevin Johns and then Lester's name gets in there, but they've already maybe kind of got their heart set on Johns because they see the picture and they see what he's done at Duke and his, and his career. And then it's Lester and they already have kind of like had these expectations up and now they're gone. And now there's just, just tidal wave of like, why Tim, look at Syracuse and they were bad. And he got fired at Western Michigan and all this. And then you listen to him talk, you're like valid points though. I mean, from, but, but not the entire picture. Yeah, you know, and the fact that, you know, I, I had put out the day before he was hired his his accomplishments at Western and, you know, those top 40 categories at, uh, on offense. And people would say, well, what about 2022? And we didn't know, like, yeah, 2022 looked bad. And he provided the context mm-hmm. yesterday of, yeah, you know, we had a new OC and mm-hmm. I kind of went hands off and said, okay, I want to focus on on being the head coach. And it got to a point eight, nine games in where, we were in rough shape. It only won three games. And I said, okay, I, I need to step in. And they didn't score a ton of points in those last three, four games, but they had back-to-back wins to end 22, but it was probably too little too late. But we got a little more context of what exactly happened there to just have everything drop out. We knew about the personnel change in terms of the OC, but we didn't know play calling or what happened there, but we got a little more more clarity. But again, yeah, it's numbers don't tell the whole story and you can make numbers work both positively and negatively, but until you 
get that full context of why things are happening and why things shifted the way they did. Uh, you know, like in Syracuse with a walk-on quarterback and an O-line that was struggling with cadences, then, yeah, things look bad, but why were they bad? And without the why, yeah, you don't have much of anything. I think right? a lot of it had to do, too, with pairing it with, oh, Kevin Johns is here, and he's more, more recently been a Power 5 head coach sure. and had success last year with Duke. OC. You know, right? Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, OC. Um, with Riley Leonard and everything Duke was doing before yeah. he got hurt last year and he worked with cliff kingsbury just these sexy names and it's just like wow that would be you know just what we need and then um being paired with him you know with him and you're looking at the resumes you're like dang you know i really wish i wanted that but when you do a deeper dive i think it's a good fit mm -hmm. um we'll see though i guess yeah. i feel like so much of it and maybe I, this is over over analyzing things but the idea of people seeing kevin johns in a picture at the Marriott, across from Kinnick, with Kirk, I feel like that just solidified the idea of it so much more. And I don't know if that's jumping into human psychology too deeply, but I, I feel like that was just, well, he's here, and, and there he is, and here's his numbers, and this works, mm -hmm. that people, when, when it didn't happen, reacted the way social media tends to I mean, react. I, I really can't fathom what the Iowa discourse would be on Twitter um, if it was around in 1999 when Chris Ferentz was announced as head coach. Because, again, if you look at his coaching record, I like that he pointed it out. 12-21 overall at Maine. His best season was 6-5 and five overall, tied for fifth in the Yankee Conference standings. I mean, this is would not have been – this would have been a, the furthest well, thing from his second year. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. Was I, guy, yeah. I was only like nine, but I, I even I heard – people say well, they should have hired Stoops because he was the hometown guy. Yeah. And then the next year or two years into his yeah. career, Oklahoma won a national title. And even and then two years into Kirk Ferentz's career, he won like five games and it didn't turn the corner until that fourth year, I believe. Yeah. Oh, two, yeah. So it's like, I mean, these things, sometimes you just got to trust the process knowing that these guys are not always going to be a home run hire on paper when they the hire first happens. But Give it time, and maybe yeah. something's going to develop. Again, the wheel, the wheels spin in February when you don't get to see anything until April. You talked about trusting the process, and boy, you can have a drinking game at, at Iowa football pressers of any time you hear 25 years or back in the 80s or whatever it may be. Nostalgia and the foundation of, of, of Iowa football laid by, by Kirk, whether it was back as a head coach or during his time uh, on Hayden Fry's staff. But one of the knocks has been things have stayed stagnant, haven't changed, no evolution. Boy, you heard Tim Lester say the, the acronym RPO yesterday and people's eyes lit up, just the, the idea of it. But the question was, and there was, again, some nitpicking in, in radio interviews of would anything change after Kirk talked to Dolph yesterday, or, uh, last week during the halftime show of, you know, saying 25 years, you know, some things are just non-negotiable or, or can't be negotiated. Um, and he talked about turnovers, but I think people heard non-negotiable and thought like, oh, it's going to be same pro style running into eight man fronts like Mike was talking about, things like that. People just immediately kind of went up in arms of like, oh, like, nope, nothing changes. Classic Kirk. Sounds like uh, whatever new Kirk version we're on uh, is open to anything in 2024 as Iowa looks to do anything on offense going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's not something we haven't ever considered. We're blind to. Uh, it's like I, I kind of touched on earlier. I think, you know, part of Tim's job is going to figure out, like, what what do we want to emphasize? You can only practice so many things and do so many things and do them well. 
but if that if that's something we deem to be you know good for our offense and fits in the package and we can execute it and not take away from other things, that's that's a balancing act a lot of times. But yeah, I'm open to anything right now. Any ideas and the whole idea is advance the ball and uh, you know help yourself and hopefully in theory there you're helping yourself in the running game. You're also helping yourself in the passing game. Um, you know, it starts with you know not having a negative yardage play. That's the first way to kill an offense. Besides turnovers, that's that's the, the worst. And, of course, turnovers is really what derailed a lot of just any inkling of progress uh, for Iowa's offense in a year last year where they were trying to do anything, those untimely turnovers. I think what what is maybe being discredited with the the efficiency of what we've seen from last year's offense at Western as it compares to Iowa is I think – wasn't the number like anything over two and a half seconds of a quarterback standing in the pocket? The chances of like a hit in the pocket and a fumble or chances of an interception just skyrocket. Mm-hmm. And that's usually where, you know, in the back half of the season as Deacon was starting, that's where you saw the problems. It was like 1 1,000, 2 1,000, 3 1,000. And then now, like, the wheels are kind of, it's tough to pass block that long. It's tough to block that long for anything, especially in the Big Ten, as you welcome in more teams, really high level teams in the Big Ten. I think this RPO. And it, we, I, I hope we see it in the spring, and I kind of think we will. I imagine Deacon will still be the one, unless Cade get, gets some reps, is you're going to see, because of the efficiency and the, the quickness out of necessity and out of the design of the offense, more success for, for Deacon, whether it's on those short routes on the RPO. And it's designed to not have those opportunities where your quarterback's sitting in the pocket looking for receivers because it's all guys just getting into space. So I, I'm, I'm excited to... A, here, open to anything, because I think being open to anything is going to open up a lot of opportunity for whoever it may be back there, no matter what time of year we're talking about. So you think Deacon's still going to be the one in the spring? Yeah. Assuming kids out? I think so. I think Marco might get more run as one, but also and another thing, you know, the social media noise is very, very loud. The number of people who heard the term RPO and immediately thought, well, that means Marco, because you have to have a fast quarterback to run options. Run pass option is not read option. And that is immensely important to, to understand and, and sink in. Again, we talked about Tanner Morgan with Minnesota in 2019. Go watch Caleb Ellaby in that, in that 21 offense at Western Michigan. Caleb can move a little bit. He was not running out of the RPO. It is hand off to your back, and I always got six, seven backs deep in that running back room that Liddell Betts is coaching up or a quick pass. You don't need to, to be fleet of foot. You don't need to be small and nimble to run this offense efficiently. So whether it's Deacon or Marco, whoever there is there in the spring, I think you're going to see flashes of, okay, as long as your guy can just be accurate with the football and, and get it there and, and have the timing down, you're, listen, it's also going to be a work in progress because they're, they're going to be 15 practices into the install. But I think you're going to see, you're going to see those plays that go, yeah, that, that doesn't look like something we've seen from Iowa in a while, and it's going to be efficient and quick. And you're going to see success from, I think, a number of different guys. So you say, and I agree with you, this encourage, like open to anything, Hawkeye fans should be encouraged. Now let's play yeah. something else. Did you hear anything in that where you're like, okay, maybe he's dropping like, hey, but don't get too excited about this. One thing was I mean, you can only practice enough. back sooner or later. Right? <laughs> you can only do enough is what he, I feel like you said. Like Tim, he, Tim said something, Tim had a few, a few, he's got a little dry sense of humor like Kirk does. Yeah. I, boy, to be a fly on the wall in some of those meetings, I'm sure it's just, nobody laughs, but it's just dry humor jokes back and forth. He said something about, and I think it was regarding the 21 offense. He's like, we never huddled either. If you think I was going to go into a huddle, I don't think that's the case. They might like 
do a little tempo every now and then, but to think that they're just going to like totally change the execution and style. But maybe, when, I don't know. When you change things up, the defense has more to prepare for. They have, they don't know what's coming. And that's what I hope. And it, it doesn't have to be like a, a full change. No. Why, some, tweaks. We're yeah, talking about tweaks. Tweaks could improve this offense. Although, how much will we see in the spring with Deacon instead of Cade? And again, 15 know. practices into the install. You know, yeah. Tim even said yesterday, he hasn't met some of these guys, mm-hmm. which you think when you first hear, you're like, how have you not met anybody? Like, we, we were talking this after I got back uh, from Iowa City yesterday. Like, dude's moving his family yeah. into a new state, finding schools, finding a place to live, you know, all, all the stuff that anybody deals with, you know, switching jobs and moving to a new stuff. Like, yeah. And guys are in the middle of classes and schedules are all over the place. And right now they're just doing, I think, like strength and conditioning stuff. So I don't know how much coordinators and position coaches are involved. But, yeah, I, I feel like there's a lot to be encouraged about, I would imagine. Yeah. Well, of course, he is a quarterback, Tim Lester, a record-setting quarterback at Western Michigan, and then was the quarterback's coach there in the mid-2000s, coaching up the guy who broke his records in, in Tim Hiller. Uh, he is the quarterback's coach in Iowa City as well, uh, taking over that room. And he, see, he saw Cade McNamara firsthand in that 2021 opener uh, in Ann Arbor. Western Michigan went up against the Wolverines, quarterbacked by, by Cade then. So Tim talked about just working with QB strengths. We've already kind of alluded to of working with the players you have rather than making the players fit the system. So here's more from Coach Lester on working, on the, working with the strengths that players have. I mean, we never even talk about throwing the ball until we figure out uh, how to move the ball on the ground. And that was an explosive team. You know, the, the one thing that people don't, maybe it's because I'm a quarterback and I always have been and coaching them, um, you know, we're going to do what that person does best. And Caleb was good at it, you know. And uh, before that, we had John, John Wasink was my first couple of years, our quarterback, and he was great at drop back, going through a progression. Like, that was his thing. So, uh, so it changes every year depending on who you have. And what he does well. I mean, that guy behind the center matters, right? And so figuring out what he does well, because if you have a flexible enough offense, we can call it any way he wants it. You know, that that year, Caleb was really good at the RPOs. We had some pretty dynamic wide receivers, D.S. Gridge and Sky Moore. We had two second-round draft picks out there running around. And uh, so that combination that year was was a great mix. And uh, we had a great combination with Jake upstairs and me on the field. And so... uh, you know, yeah, every experience can help us, right, moving forward. Uh, but we got to figure out kind of what we got and, and what's the best way for us to, to be efficient, aggressive, run the ball, and help the team win. And then we'll do those things, whatever they are. You heard uh, Tim there talking about Jake Moreland, who was his OC um, for a few years there at Western Michigan, up in the booth. He was down in the field. Tim said he likes to be up in the booth and is kind of, I don't know if he felt like he had his hands tied, but said he... He likes just being able to see the whole thing. Brian, when he started as OC, was up in the booth, so he'll, and then came down to the field. So Tim's going to go back up there. I, man, play to your strengths. Uh, he talked about he's not used to having like the play card in his hand. He likes to kind of he kind of mimed putting it in his back pocket and just kind of going with it. He also mentioned he has like six hundred pages of pass plays, so it feels like he's he's got a wealth of knowledge and he likes just to just see the whole field and then dip into the well. Um. How long was Brian up in the booth before coming down to the field? I mean, I don't know if there's any. A couple of years. I know there was yeah. an infamous story of him yeah. storming at a ref. That's how I remember. Yeah, that's. I was like, oh yeah, because he yelled at somebody. Um, yeah. I don't know if he has considered that it's harder for us to get B-roll of him when. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk <laughs> to him. We'll talk to him about, about that. that. Hey Tim, if you could just um, 
Yeah, I, I, field appearance I mean, I, I included that when I was tagging out my story from yesterday. I didn't know how much that actually, you know, people care about something like that. I think it's interesting. The booth or on the sure. field. But I know that, I think it was Tom Caker that asked him about that, whether yeah. he'd be on the booth or on the field. So there must be, <laughs> there's some interest there. Not that it I really think matters. there's, and, and we, well, we've talked about this from just the videographer and photographer standpoint of we don't really get to watch the game on game day because we're just trying to, fo I'm trying to get Cade focused or Deacon focused up in a square frame. If you're watching this on the YouTube channel, you know, Mike was struggling mightily with, these cameras can be so finicky sometimes. So just trying to get us framed up certainly so our heads are a certain way, so our heads aren't cut off. And so we're in the middle of the frame. That's the kind of stuff we're watching. And I imagine, you know, this is, these are fun shots, but you can't see a whole lot. You know, I don't know who Cade's throwing to. That was my shot from the Western game. Ironically enough, and you don't see exactly you can't where see the, the defense, ball's going. Or you don't see way defense. Up. You don't see who's running routes, and so you know it's great for for point of view stuff. And, and the crowd noise is certainly fun. It's always fun posting these these highlight reels from this, and people you know saying like, "Boy, that it just so cool to have that ground level view." But you don't see anything. You see the cool moments and the reactions, but you don't always see the full spread of the field. And so, I'm, to to Tim's point he can see everything from up in the booth. Like, it's, it's better to watch the game up there. It's cooler to experience the game on, on the field, and you get that direct communication, obviously, with players. But if you're a guy who's just trying to scheme and move the ball and, and watch for everything, like, up in the booth is probably your best bet. Yeah, can't do as much yelling from up in the booth, or at least uh, you can. It's getting, just, yeah. getting across to a, an official <laughs> or whoever, but, um, yeah. So one of those little things, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. We'll we'll figure out the B-roll situation. He'll be he'll be down there for the spring and the fall. We'll yeah. we'll get what we can. Uh, we alluded to this a little bit earlier. The idea of people hearing option and have those those pictures of Marco running around uh, in garbage time during the bowl game in in Florida a month ago. Somehow it was only like a month ago. Blake Hornstein was like, "Man, like I haven't seen for." I was like, "Dude, it's been like two months. Like <laughs> it's not that. It just." Football season uh, yeah. feels like a long time, but people saw Marco. They saw the mobility. Certainly a weapon out there, but people hear the word option and think, well, it's got to be Marco. Tim Lester, you heard him kind of allude to Caleb Ellaby and a, a guy I watched in high school uh, at South Christian up in Western Michigan, Johnny Wasink. It can move a little bit. That is a bonus, not a necessity, according to Tim Lester. I value efficiency at the quarterback position. Mobility would be a bonus. Like, if I can get both... 100%, I'm all for it. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? Um, but there has to be efficiency first, right? And I think sometimes people get enamored with the, the mobility and, and when they have to drop back on a third down and get us a first down or a two-minute drill to go win us the game, uh, you know, that we can't fall short in that scenario. you got to play quarterback first. got to be able to move the sticks with your feet. And the more you can do, the more we can do when it comes to running the ball. You know, so uh, it's it's just a, it's a great... A great icing on the cake if you can have it. So I'm always looking for it. But I'm not going to uh, go away from a guy that, that can, I think can really execute a, uh, an offense and make throws and be efficient as a quarterback just because if he can't do that, I'm not going to just take him because he can run a little faster. You know what I mean? Well, I'm, I'm not exactly sure who he's talking about when he says somebody who's efficient and can run an offense well because uh, that's not Deacon Hill <laughs> necessarily. Um, I mean, the number – if he wants efficiency – I got bad news for you. Uh, we have not had an efficient quarterback in this offense for the last uh, for the last whatever eight games of the prior season. Um, once Cade comes back to action, then then it's a different story. But Deacon would would not exactly inspire confidence if somebody's looking for great efficiency. I was muted, and uh, you know, even before Cade's injury at Michigan State, 
his completion percentage wasn't as high as it was at Michigan. And, you know, you have some questions of, do you do well at Michigan? Cause he was surrounded by talent and a, a lot of, you know, Michigan talent that you just won the national title and won the big 10 three years in a row. Um, but I do think obviously he's, he's probably, if it went healthy, he can be efficient. You got to think. Yeah. It, healthy is, is the context, you know, tried to, you know, he, he was playing her. I, I, even I tried to like downplay it a little bit of like, Hey, like he still throw, you know, he's not mobile, but he's still throwing, but you know, it, it was pretty clear that wasn't the Cade that we had, we'd seen in years past. And going back to the, the system that Brian was running and what Tim's going to do, Again, Tim's some quick throws, some some slant, some more some high percentage type stuff. Whereas it felt like Brian's system sometimes was um, intricate to the point of attrition at, at times. And you saw I mean, all of Spencer Petrus's time, Alex Padilla's, Cades and, and Deacons last year. It's been a long time since an Iowa quarterback had completed sixty percent of their passes, and you wonder if maybe that is partially not just personnel but but play design and and, and coaching and, and development and i mean when's the last time you had a quarterback get better as he aged in the Nate Stanley. iowa it's football Nate Stanley, yeah which i mean his first start was seven years ago this year hmm. other than him though i mean like it seems like every iowa quarter i guess ricky stanzi too when going way back way back but the teams didn't do as well and that was more on the defense i thought but you didn't see the development at quarterback and him being a quarterback quarterback's coach rather than you know Brian Ferentz, no knocking him, but he was an offensive lineman and he taught, uh, he, he coached tight ends uh, in the NFL, I believe. It's like, does he really have the, and I'm sure he has more knowledge than any of us, but does he have the knowledge to teach a quarterback his fundamentals? And I, you know, I think it, a lot of people question that. And I think it's encouraging that right now you do have a quarterback who can, or a former quarterback who can come in and, and tell the quarterback what they're doing wrong or from, you know, his eyes. But that's another encouraging part that I think from having Tim Lester. Yeah, again, pointing to, you know, going back to Lester's time at, at Purdue and taking David Blau from a guy who, and it feels like this is every year at Purdue, there's like two or three guys that are kind of like rotating, battling out, just trying to get snaps. You know, David Blau, as far as I know, is still in the NFL. I think he might be a practice squad guy, or, but he's he's in NFL quarterbacks rooms. And, you know, going back to, you know, maybe 15 or, or 16, you know, you started to see that development. But I, I don't think probably David Blau is considered a, an NFL quarterback in any capacity um, going into Purdue maybe and then comes out and again has been hanging around the lead and started a couple games for the, for the Lions and you know people in Detroit are happy with Jared Goff now but there was a while I think he had a Thanksgiving game where like he performed pretty admirably and people were like boy David Blau's got something you know Tim Lester had a, a pretty heavy hand to that in 2016. He just about could have been a Super Bowl quarterback this year he's on the Lions practice. Is he on the Lions? Right uh, okay. Yeah still. He was there and then he went to Minnesota for a minute. I feel like maybe he was in Houston. Cardinals. He went to Cardinals. Yeah, I knew he was down south. Mostly a practice squad career guy, but yeah. But hey, yeah. Um, So he he knows how to develop. And again, he he, Tim coached up the guy who broke his own records. And then you heard him mention Johnny Wasink and and Caleb Ellaby. He's he's had a few different guys and has found success with. It seems like different quarterbacks through again litany of him talking about all the experience he's had. The good part Um, about it is though, this offensive line should be one of the you know top at least top quarter in the big 10 mm-hmm. um when you talk about earlier negative plays big losses sacks not have enough time to throw um the offensive line the past few years has been gelling i think they they got a lot better as the season progressed last year but with caden proctor coming in solidifying that left tackle role and having 
a lot of experience. It should be a lot better. The running back's there. The only thing, you know, that you, you want to see improve and improve a lot for the quarterbacks is the wide receivers, which we're going to talk about next. Yeah, um, not a ton of experience in there. I mean, your, your most experienced player in that wide receiver room now that Nico's graduated and, and Deontay Vines has transferred is, is Seth Anderson, who has a year at Charleston Southern and a, a year at Iowa where I believe he had a, a, 11 catches. You saw in the, in the highlights, if you're watching on YouTube, that, that, first, that first pass against Utah State, and boy, like, stars in our eyes in that moment. What a huge play that was. But then, you know, Caleb Brown certainly has come along mightily, and he looks like a, a guy who, man, especially in this system, I mean, go again, if you go watch that Western Michigan uh, highlight reel in that film, seeing what Sky Moore did in this offense and Dwayne Eskridge, D. Eskridge, Boy, uh, could could jump out, but Tim Tim uh, Lester talked. Before we get about, to that, can I ask you something real quick? Yeah, go ahead. I was looking at the roster earlier today, and I noticed something about the wide receivers. And I just want to get quiz you guys. Sure. Do you know how many returning wide receivers have a collegiate catch <laughs> on the roster right now? Uh, well, Seth, Seth, of course, Caleb, Wick has a catch, had a couple catches, I believe, in twenty one or twenty two. Um, he had one against Iowa State in that slop fest in 22. It's a good memory. Yeah, those are all the three. Again, I... Oh, wow, really? Three yeah. receivers have catches. Alec, Alec Wick still has some of the best hands I've ever seen yeah. at any level. I mean, just... Iowa City Regina kid? Yeah, go go look up his huddle, huddle film from Regina. That kid caught everything. Iowa State, he had a catch against Michigan, which I imagine was in garbage, garbage time. time one, yeah. Um, but... I got to imagine this is probably one of the lowest in FBS. Um, not surprisingly, because, you know, we've talked about the offensive struggles. Um, uh, Ohio State's returning receiver, Mbuka. Yeah, Mbuka. He, he has more combined stats than all three of them together, sure which obviously. Uh, oh, but, I, I bet there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Are there not more guys? I'm sure you <laughs> had that more. I only, I only checked Ohio State. And then did I, he play non-con this past year? I know he was banged up for a minute. Yeah, I think so. It was he like, probably still, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, but there's Jarrett Bowie got a bunch of runs with the ones, especially Bostic, early. Bostic, but he just didn't get a catch. Yeah. I'm, I've been saying it since last spring. If Jacob Bostic's healthy, I, I don't know what it is about this kid. Just watching his high school stuff, he's got the frame. Seems like he's got the talent. If he can just stay healthy, I feel like he's a dude who could break out in 24. Um, yeah. Because he's got – him and Bowie kind of have the same build. You got Alex Wick, who redshirted last year from Marion. Obviously, we've had a front row season. Moda. What did I say? Wick. I love Alec Wick. I can't is, uh, Alex Moda, uh, obviously an incredible athlete at Marion. Uh, Aiden McDermott, who is a red shirt yeah. coming out of Xavier. He's got height, too, and he's got hands. Aiden Weijin is uh, listed as a wide receiver, which I thought he was a running back. but um, yeah, he's a wetter, yeah. He had four carries last year, which I thought yeah, he, he didn't had more. get a lot of targets. I thought he yeah. had a lot more carries than that, but he only had four. Um, but yeah, zero. I don't. I don't know if he even had target on the on the stat he, sheet. Yeah, which is he, he lined up at wide out a couple of times, but yeah, he was used in sweeps. But one yeah, of those I mean, things. He's he, an explosive he player. player. Yeah, yeah. Like if they could just get the ball with it, pass the ball to him in the flat. You know, that's what I think we talked about. Like, why couldn't you get him in the offense a little bit? You know, this is this is a fun thing. Again, just having covered covered Western and then keeping an eye on him during Tim's years there. When I was covering Western Michigan, and again, it was Kirk Soraka's offense who went up to, to Minnesota in 2019 when they had Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson. The offense really ran through like four or five guys. It, it, Western Michigan, when I was there, it was Zach Terrell was the quarterback, uh, very much kind of in the same mold as Tanner Morgan, a guy who could, could move if he absolutely needed him to but wasn't, I mean, he's not out there scrambling around and running read options and stuff like that. It was, it was RPO, but it was every game, and, and the offense didn't focus on tight ends. So there was maybe one tight end. I bet tight ends caught eight balls 
that whole year. But it was Corey Davis, who was a top five NFL pick and I think is still the uh, NCAA's all-time leading receiver. And Daniel Braverman, who was kind of kind of like Nico, was kind of built like that. And they would just like throw shovel passes to him. But the, the stat sheet was very much like three or four guys with catches. Jarvion Franklin was coming out of the backfield catching balls too. Whereas Lester's, the wealth is spread around a lot more. So I think even though you don't have a lot of returning wide receivers with catches and there's not a ton of experience in that room, I get the feeling, especially in non-con, as they're trying to figure this offense out, there are going to be a lot of dudes who get a lot of targets because they're just, they've got to, they've got to build the experience somehow. You know, we talked about it with Deacon last year. You can't microwave it, but you can, you can nuke it, I guess, and try to do whatever you can. Just like, hey, let's get these guys as much as we can. So this is an offense that predicates itself on getting getting a lot of reps to a lot of guys. And I think that will that can only help just getting those guys targets and mm-hmm. some opportunities. But uh, Tim Lester was asked about the wide receiver room on yesterday as well. Well, obviously wide receivers are a huge part, no matter what you're running schematically. Um, you know, but, but putting them in position, I, I think, is the biggest key. You know, we, we – uh, through my time in coaching, I think we've been around quite a bit of uh, pretty good ones, and and we've been able to find ways to get the hand, you know, get the ball in their hands. You know, there's a lot of ways to do that. Uh, you know, whether it's screens, whether it's just straight drop back, whether it's putting them in the backfield. You know, the flexibility of an offense is key. You know, and so, uh, you know, I haven't I haven't had a chance to meet all the wide receivers yet, but uh, you know, I I want to make sure that the quarterback understands that we are going to spread the ball around, and he's going to. Uh, read read his keys as he's supposed to. Uh, it's my job to make sure that one of those first couple options is is the guy that we want it to be. We did learn a little bit, kind of, about the wide receiver coaching position yesterday. The job is off the the UI boards, UIwa jobs posting board has been for a little more than a week now, but no decision. It sounds like yet, at least not publicly. Not publicly, but. Uh, I mean, it seems like for by all accounts, there is a decision that's been made and they know who the guy is and it's just a matter of time before they officially announce it to the public. Um, and if if this was well, I don't know. I mean, we knew about we knew about Tim Lester a few days before the university announced it. I don't know if this was would, was a bigger position than wide receiver coach if they if there already would be a news leak out there about who it was. But, um, you know, nothing. Nothing made official yet, but seems like draw their own conclusions. People on reporters are already talking about that. It's that's Bud Meyer. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but none of those I've heard of on podcasts talk about it, but no one's sent, like wrote an, written an article. I don't know if that's just because it's a wide receivers position, coach. Scott Docterman with the Athletic has has mentioned in tweets, like in in threads, talking with people that basically since Copeland has left, Bud Meyer's been the de facto receivers coach in that it's a matter of time but Kirk also alluded to you know in a couple weeks we'll figure it out but it's not posted anymore so I don't know if like if there's some 11th hour candidate somewhere or if they're just trying to get ducks in a row or, or figuring out if if Tim is on board. I don't know if Tim gets a little bit of say on, on what he wants uh, but again Bud doesn't have wide receiver coaching experience, but he was the OC for Colorado State in 2021 when, when they were at Iowa. I looked it up. He, I think they were 52nd in passing offense that year. In, in Trey McBride, that they had Trey McBride, end, who was, was really the, good. Uh, the 
the Mackey Award winner. He had 90 catches for 1,100 yards, wow. one touchdown. <laughs> oh, wow. Which is just a wild, I mean, he's yeah. still won the Mackey. Yeah. He had like 35% of their receiving yards and about that same percentage of their total receptions. Their leading receiver, I think, had less than half of that catch total and only played eight games. Mm-hmm. So he might have been banged up. But that's, so we don't have a ton of look at what he can do specifically with receivers, but he knows if he's got if he's got an A one guy, go to him and go to him a lot. Mm-hmm. Just maybe not in the red zone. It sounds like. But other than that, I mean, ninety catches for eleven hundred yards. He had six for fifty nine against wow. Iowa and Kinnick. Yeah, I mean, you could tell. And he's had some success. Uh, I think he's with the Cardinals now in the NFL. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's made an impact. He's he's an NFL tight end. There's some people out there or some publications who treat it like it's a done deal. Like he's he's the wide receivers coach, and I don't know. Maybe maybe the university is just holding off just to. Um, allow the Tim Lester news to sit for a little while. Let you know, allow that press conference to happen and let that news sink in, and then maybe by early next week we'd hear something about receivers coach. Who knows? They said in the next two weeks, within the next two weeks, we'd have an announcement on that. Just looking up some stats here at uh, of wide receivers at, at Western Michigan during uh, during Lester's time. Let's go to that 2021 season just to give you an idea. So Sky Moore was the leading receiver, 95 catches. Corey Crooms Jr., who was a, a transfer to Minnesota, we saw a bit last year, uh, was third on the team in catches, second in yards, uh, 44 catches. Jalen Hall, who's a really good player, had 46 catches. Um, those guys combined, 46, 44, and 95 catches, went for, we'll call it 2,700 yards through the air and 19 touchdowns. That's a you can hope. That's a career One for like can a hope. five all-time receiver. <laughs> uh, but that's what that 2021 offense was was doing with those those top three guys. And uh, your leading tight end receiver was 12 catches for 137, which is basically an Iowa wide receiver nowadays. I mean, that's a, pretty close to what Seth put up as what, like the third leading receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's – listen, it, again, it's February. We're spinning wheels. We're just trying to figure out. But there's if if they start moving towards that kind of stuff and, and going more quick passes, there's an idea. The, the truth is somewhere in the middle of maybe where things end up. But I think I think it's it's fair to be skeptical though of how much this offense can improve until some legit playmakers outside the tight ends and running backs like make plays, which is again in the fall. Um, I think I told you this every year. In the past, like four years, I'm like, all right, Iowa's offense got to get better this year. And every year they've went backwards and backwards. Now worse. they literally can't, quite literally, they can't get any worse. So, like, if they can just get back in that single digits of, of total offense, scoring offense and whatnot, this team could really click and potentially, like, make a playoff. You know, Kirk always talks about complimentary football, but this offense has been the opposite of complimentary football the past two years, like, weighing the team down. So, hopefully, you know, this offense can start doing its part. I'm interested to see how how Lester's system, which is leaned on, I mean, you heard the, the wide receiver productivity, translating that to tight ends when you've got a room of five, six tight ends who they've got all your experience and they, they can catch passes really well. A way to, I don't know if you just start splitting them out or still work them within the line and, and run that, that 12 personnel that we, we heard so much about uh, the last couple of weeks and how that could maybe work in with that. But I, that's fascinating to me is, okay, you, you like your pass catching tight ends, You've got them in spades here. How do you work them into your offense when you know you had a, some NFL caliber wide receivers in, in your system before? Well, now you've got a little 
experience to do or work to do when it comes to getting experience in that wide receiver room. How do you lean into your tight ends? Where do they go? And, and how do you utilize them? That's, and that, that's one of the things you can see in the spring where they're figuring that out. It might not always look pretty, but maybe you'll see a play or two where you're like, okay, yeah, if they can do that consistently, that's a fun thing. I also wonder if they, with the stable of running backs, if they, who's your, you identify who's your best catch, a pass catching uh, running back, put them in more roles. You saw them split out a lot of running backs when they went, you know, shotgun, then five wide. Mm-hmm. But do they do that more on early downs? Do they take, okay, you know, TJ Washington or Moulton or, or LaShawn, they can catch, let's put them out and try and get them the ball when you have an absence of, you know, experienced wide receivers. That'll be fun to see. It's almost the inverse of what Caleb Brown is. I mean, he's a receiver that comes in and he, he yeah. carried the ball a number of times last year. Yeah. Like, it's almost like they do the same thing with him, only in reverse, I guess. Well, that he, he was a running back, running back. yeah. 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 I, um, I think that's the fun part about the offense is you can kind of, again, you can lean on people's strengths. If you've got a guy like Seth Anderson who talked about how much he loved running sweeps and wants to do that, sure. If you've got Caleb Brown who's got his, a ton of experience as a running back, like, just find ways to get dudes the ball and get in space. I think that'll be the key is just get dudes in space and let them go to work. If I could speak about the state of college football for a moment, that, that this is one of the Here's beautiful podium. This is one of the beautiful things that I love about the expanded college football playoff is that a school like Iowa, even with a new offensive coordinator, I don't with a four team playoff, I don't think that we would have said anything about like, boy, with improved offense, we can make maybe make the CFP. Like that still felt pretty pie in the sky, lofty goal to make a CFP. But now it's just like with 12 teams making the playoffs, it's like just with a, you know, a little bit better offense, that's a legitimate possibility for us right now. And I don't know. I, I love that that's the state of the game right now, that any team knows that like even just whatever, a top two or three finish in their conference, they could have one, two losses on their resume and still have a chance to get in the college football playoff where, you know, at that point anything can happen. That's why I hated all the narrative from like some national outlets, like, oh, this is going to take away – from the regular season. It's like, Iowa and Iowa State are looking at it like, <laughs> we can make the playoff this yeah. year. And it's not like, oh my God, you guys are stupid. It's because Iowa State could win the Big 12. Like, it wouldn't shock me if they did that now without yeah. Oklahoma, yeah. Texas. I know Utah is bringing back Cam Rising and they should be good. Um, and there's some other good teams Colorado. in there. Oh, I, what? Colorado? Did I say <laughs> Colorado? Prime. I meant Utah. And they didn't, I mean, they didn't make oh, a bowl yeah. game last year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, well, Colorado's receipt. in the Big 12. Oh, he's going to yeah. use that as a receipt. Oh. Kansas State. You know, there's a lot of schools in there that are looking at it, the Big 12, not to go off on a different conference, but like, yeah. we're the top dog. Iowa, I mean, like, any, uh, is Washington down? By the way, do you think Bill Belichick, this is totally random, do you think there could be a Bill Belichick sighting in Kinnick Stadium? Do you know his son is the on the coaching staff at Washington yeah, now. Yeah, the D- DC at Washington. Yeah, Steve so yeah. Steve. Yeah, Steve Belichick. So we might be able to see Bill on the yeah. sidelines. We saw Tom Izzo last year. So. <laughs> I don't know the history of if Bill's ever visited Iowa City. I mean, I think him and Kirk are still relatively close. Yeah. He's got a kid that plays mm-hmm. for him and a, co- and a kid that's coached with him. So I'd... I have to take this on and, a totally and if, random... And if, and if Bill's not working this year, I mean, he, he doesn't have a, a new gig lined up, it sounds like. So. Yeah, but I, I think that, I mean, my my response would be nearly the opposite of that national narrative. I think that it makes the regular season that much more interesting because if a team lost two games, I think that there's some teams out there that might, like, kind of throw in the towel, like, well, we can't make the CFP, so, like, whatever, we're just going to get in some random bowl game and nobody's going to play in it, so whatever. But now it's like... Shoot, still with two losses, you've got a chance of making the CFP. And so I think that it makes every single um, regular season game that much more important. It's just like the NFL. I mean, that I forget. Do we? Is it 12 teams in the NFL? Yeah, it's or, 12. Or is it 14? 
14. Yeah, because it's seven. No, it's seven. Yeah, it's it's 14. But it's still like to the very end of the season, every single regular season game is so important for the NFL teams that play still a 17-game schedule. Um, but it's still every single one matters in terms of your postseason play. I think the the one the very small group of teams that it devalues is like your Ohio State's, Michigan's, and Alabama because like they're always a 10, 11 win team. Mm-hmm. So the game where it's like win and you're in, even though last year they both made it, Ohio State and Michigan, it won't mean as much. I think those those very like there's not a lot of them. Those small games, Alabama, Georgia. Texas and Georgia play next year. Mm-hmm. Like those games probably won't mean as much, but there'll be so many more teams that have a shot that I think overall it will rise the stakes, the amount of stakes in, in these games in, across college football. We've talked a little bit about the NFL. Speaking of, LeVar Woods yesterday afternoon, it was announced as interviewed for the special teams coordinator job at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's one of at least six guys who has interviewed. I know they have a, an in-house candidate. There's another candidate who has spent, I think, the last five or six seasons as this uh, STC for the Giants. Um, this coming right on the heels of Seth Wallace and us getting the chance to hear from him yesterday for the first time since being named assistant head coach, uh, which is a, a well-earned uh, position for Seth and, and, and kudos to him. What a, what a run he's been on. He talked about getting the call from Norm in, I think it was January of 05. And that kind of like started his journey towards Iowa. And he was down at Valdosta state for a little bit down in Georgia and uh, has carved out quite a career in Iowa city. But a year ago at this time, if you, and there was, I mean, there's going to be talk every off season about how much longer Kirk's going to do it. If you were making a list of who's the successor for Kirk Ferentz in Iowa City, who would you like to see? LeVar, at this time last year, was, if not in the top three, number one for a lot of fans of who they wanted to see take over. And now you can take from this, at the very least, he's opening to list, open to listen to phone calls um, as Seth steps into this assistant head coach spot, which you have to think puts him in the running of being a successor. So what is our reaction to to both of those developments. Yeah, I, I would say first off that he still, I mean, remains pretty much the guy that people would love to see sure. as the number one um, guy to su- uh, succeed Kirk Ferentz one day, which even if he took the Bucks job would not take him out of the no, running at all. for that by any stretch. I mean, Kirk still might have four or five years left in him, so it's like LeVar goes and does his thing in the NFL and then still could come back and be the Iowa coach one day. Who knows? But I, I think that it's possible there's maybe too much re- being read into it just because, I mean... Guys can interview for a lot of stuff. Number one, it's like they can, uh, if, a, if a team calls somebody and they just say, hey, could, could we'd just love to talk to you. We'd love to bend your ear about the position. And LeVar just says, eh, sure, what the heck? Like, that does not mean that he's necessarily, like, out there shopping for jobs in the NFL. Sure. Um, but uh, on the other side of things, this is maybe reading way too much into it, but... Um, LeVar knows that he's a guy that a lot of people want to be the next head coach. With Seth being the guy that gets promoted to the assistant head coaching position, does that harbor a teensy bit of jealousy in LeVar Woods that he's like, you know, I wish that I was the guy that could be the assistant head coach. Does that mean that Seth is going to be the next head coach at Iowa, not me? I mean, that's fair to assume. Uh, I mean, not assume. That's fair to speculate about because not only is Seth the assistant head coach he's also the co-defensive coordinator is his title and linebackers coach um man 
it, it is, are we reading too much into this inner co- uh, coach's uh, politics? Because you only get to talk to him like once a year anyway. <laughs> but at the same time, we're only given certain information. We have to like try and, you know, lean what what's actually happening. And is it a slap in the face? I, I wouldn't call it a slap in the face, but could he take it that way? Totally, he could take it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'd be fair to. I mean, yeah. And it could be a little bit of... Um political, contractual maneuvering on the VAR's part because a really interesting statement that Seth made yesterday was that he said, I am kind of like our three linebackers this year who had a chance to leave and decided to come back, which tells me Seth had some offers out there that he could have very easily left Iowa, but he decided to come back um, maybe because he was offered this role of assistant um, coordinator. And so maybe LeVar sees that and he's like, well, maybe if I get some offers and I have a chance to leave, maybe they're going to either bump my salary a little bit or offer me a new elevated position to some degree. Yeah. I don't know what the next (laughs) maybe made up role, you know, because there never was an assistant head coach here. (laughs) I don't know what that is, but co-assistant head coach. I mean, I think half of the fan base too, going back to this, I wouldn't say half, but there's a large portion who whenever Kirk decides to go, they would desire just no one connected to the program right now. Hmm. Just a fresh new coach. Who's that? I don't know. I mean, depends on what year he retires and, and what candidates are out there. There's some guy coaching in D3 yeah. that's going to be the hot name yeah. in three years. Or I don't know what Beth Getz will want to do if she'll want to keep that, um, that continuity of someone from the program. But you also see those like coaching waiting things. They don't always pan out. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. So it, it'll be really you know interesting to see if Seth or LeVar are the next coach, maybe five years down the road with some random person we don't even know about. I, I will say this. If, if LeVar was, does end up going to Tampa Bay, I think that you could uh, bet your bottom dollar that Tory Taylor would be a Tampa Bay Buccaneers draftee in a couple weeks. He was, um, it sounds like he was in the building yesterday at some point. Somebody said they, they Tory was Tory there. Really? Um, and Tim Lester also talked about, I think he ran into to Reese, the new mm-hmm. punter. Uh, from Australia and was like, oh, there's a, there's a guy here from Australia. Like, <laughs> how neat. Like, <laughs> yeah, um, old news. The, the more, and, and Tori just had a really good show at the Senior Bowl uh, last weekend. The more I think about it, you know, we've talked about, okay, Cooper's probably going to be a first-round pick. Who else gets drafted? Day two of the draft is rounds two through four, right? Yeah, that or two, two and three. I thought it was just two and three. Yeah, I think it's two and three. Just two and three. Yeah. I think Tory goes late third, early fourth. I just he's such a weapon, right? And we talked about, you know, the if you're trying to to look at some glass half full stuff of the offensive struggles the last few years, it's that Tory Taylor who was already immensely talented, got the chance to have as prolific punting of a season as as we've ever seen. I and and so that I think that put a shine on. And I think in a if you're a team that's struggling to build an offense, i.e. Carolina still trying to get stuff and you need to play what I was done these last few years of just like, all right, let's just get a good punter and rely on our awesome defense and the offense can get where it can. Tory Taylor seems like a very valuable draft pick at some point for some team. I was skeptical for a while, like just like, oh, will a team even use a draft pick on a punter? But after looking at some of the numbers, I'm more convinced that they definitely will because over the last two years, there have been seven punters taken in the NFL draft. Um, three this last year in 23, and there were four punters drafted in 2022. So if he's not, because some projections don't have him as the number one punter in the NFL draft. There's a guy from here's, there. 
Harrison. <laughs> There's a guy from Arizona who put up some good numbers last year um, that he, on some boards, is the number one punter. Did he punt for 500 yards against, uh, against Wisconsin? <laughs> <laughs> so even if he's not the first punter off the board, he's going to go to somebody on day probably three, maybe two, optimistically. Um, the last punter who was taken in the third round of the draft was 2012, Brian Anger, um, out of California, taken by the Jaguars. Um, he is... I remember people being angry about that. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it wasn't like Jacksonville fans, but just even just like pundits on TV of like, it's a punter in the third round. Yeah, there, and no punter has gone higher than, yeah, the third round. Gosh, there was a guy... Dustin Colquitt, who yep. had a nice little career for the Chiefs, he was taken with the 35th overall pick. Holy crap. <laughs> I mean, I, over I under love, 35th pick. I have a punting his winning shirt. Uh, sorry, that, that's, that's incorrect. That can't be right. That that is not, he was not a 35th pick. pick of the third round, I there should say. There we go. Yeah. So I was like, I can't be right, can it? <laughs> right <laughs> Early the, second round. Right out of the gate on wild. Friday, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. That would have been. Is, is Tory Taylor a first-round pick? <laughs> Will the Bears trade the number one pick <laughs> as part of a package to get Tory Taylor? Last second-rounder was Todd Sauerbrunn out of West okay. Virginia. Got taken by the Bears. <laughs> All right. We'll have to figure out a draft. Uh, the draft is probably right around the time we'll have the, the spring game or the spring scrimmage, so we'll have to do some, some deep yeah. on that, too. I think, you know, we talked about doing one before, either before or around when spring practice starts. Um Spring game, I think we should just come back after the the game and, and do a pod right yeah. on that Saturday, and then you know when spring practice wraps, something like that. If there's any big news, we're still going to do uh, basketball once a week. We'll do that tomorrow since we're doing this today. After the um, today's oh today is Wednesday. We're doing it on Friday. Friday, Friday at one. I thought it was Thursday for some reason. Um, time welcome to my week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> time has made no Friday sense. at one. We'll we'll do it after the uh, Penn State. Doubleheader, Iowa, Penn State, um, this Thursday, men's and women's. I, maybe I'm just not, speaking from. A, it's not the same place. Not it's just one's at six, one's at, one's in Iowa City, one's in uh, State College. College. I, State College. I hope I'm speaking for everyone when I say, and I was talking about this with with Ike Holt and Tashman yesterday, of just so excited to jump to some bold conclusions about players and their impact in 2024 based on pictures from day six of spring practice. Brian Allen looks huge. Look at what this guy's going to do on the D-line. I mean, that was me after fall camp last year. <laughs> you might be right, but you might be right Dude, next Brian year. Brian Allen's going to be trouble. He should be in the two deeps, right? Get, get some real snaps. I mean, it was, it was that fall scrimmage. That yeah. It was just like 90 is everywhere. Yeah. Or 91, I should say. Got to be. Um, we'll see. Yeah. I, uh, that, that is like, they always put out like a little bit of video for like the first day of practice. And it's like, oh, is that, is Hayden Large catching a pass in the background of this picture? See what Kyler Fisher was cleaning yesterday? <laughs> it's a beast. Well, I mean, we just talked about Kate on, on a sled. I don't know how far he pushed that sled. <laughs> Could have been a photo op. I think he just he did it because he know. saw some cameras there. He's like, let me just. That, that flight creative team just <laughs> does unreal stuff. They're an Emmy award winning team now. They, they do fantastic work, whether still or video. But of course, you can follow ours, all of our video and audio and whatnot. Twitter, Eye on the Hawks, Iowa's News Now on the YouTube channel and Instagram. Boys will be back on Friday breaking down everything hoops-wise. Of course, it could be a historic weekend for Caitlin Clark. Plenty of stuff to talk about. Really exciting time, even in the middle of February, to follow everything Hawkeyes. So for Mike and Owen, I'm Mitch. See you next time on Eye on the Hawks.